What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack, well, that sucks. Yeah, your back is, well, I don't even really want to know what your back feels like. Probably just sucks, though. Anyways, if you want to get the uh, best, most well-built and the damn good warranty that is Mystery Ranch, well, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and get on that good, good Fireline pack. Also, if you happen to be in the... uh I don't know, the, the neighborhood, you might as well go and check out the Backbone series as well. And why do I ask this of you? Well, you can go over to the Backbone series and they are taking, they are accepting uh, some new submissions for the Backbone series scholarship program. And if you don't know what that is, well, you might want to check it out because if you're looking to get some classes under your belt, uh, EMT classes or that S class that you've been wanting to get. Well, now you don't really have an excuse because mystery ranch is giving away some thousand dollar scholarships dedicated to accelerating your career and doing better for yourself. So get over there. What are you waiting for? Anyways, the deadline for these scholarships are going to be closing May 31st, 2023. So I highly suggest you go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out because TikTok pitter patter time is running out. They're awesome. Like I said, go over there, check them out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is going to be none other than Hot Shot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. And if uh, you're not into coffee, if you don't drink coffee, which you're probably a monster if you don't, well, they have a ton of other stuff, like all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, and a ton of wildland firefighter themed apparel. If you want to find out more, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out their full line of kick-ass coffee, all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, and all that kick-ass wildland firefighter themed apparel. Like I said, it's a good cause that they support, repping uh, some funds over there for the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So once again, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. And of course, I got to give a quick little shout out to my buddy booze over at the ass movement. And that stands for the anti-surface shitting movement. Homie's a firefighter up there in AK and he's doing the good deed of spreading poo bearing propaganda across the globe. I don't know about everybody out there that's listening, but I absolutely hate it when I see a surface turd or someone just doesn't clean up their wreckage left behind their human excrement and it's disgusting and that shit needs to stop. So not only is he one of my very close homies uh, and we work together on some other projects, uh, it's yeah, he's got a good mission and it was all started from humble beginnings, which you can ask him all about. Anyways, if you head over to www.thefirewild and check out the ass movement and use the code anchorpointass10 at checkout. Well, you can save 10% off your entire order through the ass movement. Go check them out. Once again, that is www.thefirewild.com forward slash the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be, well, not sponsored by, but supported by now, not even supported by. Um, How do we present this? Well, I'm a huge supporter of theirs and I believe in what they're doing. Now, they don't pay me for doing these ads. I just believe in their cause. So one, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. You may, may possibly know them as the Smoky Generation. 
What do they do? Well, it is a catalog of wildland firefighting stories dating all the way back to the 1940s. It's like a, a digital history lesson from our peers in the field and some of those legendary figures that we call superintendents, hotshots, and operators, our peers, all of that stuff. It's all located there at the wildfire experience, the American wildfire experience, or the smoky generation. They're all linked to each other. So, so go over there, check it out. And while you're at it, check out the smoky generation grant program that they are doing because it is awesome. They're giving away $500 grants to those folks that are telling the story of wildland fire. Now time is limited on this one too. So TikTok pitter patter, get at her. Anyways, Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization out there. Keep it up. and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private municipal county or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, everybody? I hope everybody is doing well. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Yeah, looks like things are starting to heat up a little bit. I don't know. It's like warming up, not heating up. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Anyways, I hope everybody is doing well and they are geared up and ready for the season. But today's episode is going to be dedicated all to running. Now, why is this coming out right about now in April? Well, because if you're on a crew or a hell attack module or just a wildland firefighter in general, well, I bet your ass is running. And with that, we are going to try and explain how to run properly. Running uh, was one of my favorite pastimes, <coughs> said no one ever, uh, back when I was a firefighter. But if you learn how to get good at it and learn how to explore the pain cave in peace, well, you're going to be much better of a of a runner. That's just what it is. Anyways, today we're going to have Land Sharks Running Company on the show. It's a gentleman by the name of Lucas Garrett, and we're going to go over injury avoidance, some recipes for avoiding the shin splints, the hammies. We're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about running optimization, like your stance, your pace, your footwear, your form. We're going to talk about nutrition, the importance of rest. And we're, of course, going to talk about optimizing that threshold of the pain cave. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Lucas Garrett. Welcome to The Anchor Point. I gotta do like the sound sync thing. It's kind of stupid, so. <laughs> I, I just learned about the sound sync thing and I think it's fantastic. Dude, it makes I it- I clap though. Oh man, it makes it so much easier to like sync up your audio and video later, later down the road, so. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Yeah, yeah just lazy really. <laughs> Helps me edit faster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, yeah. I mean, we, the editing is. I'm learning all about it, dude. It's it's yeah. It's very time consuming, but I've kind of gotten some efficiencies going there. But yeah. But anyways, besides that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got my buddy Lucas Garrett with Land Sharks Running Company. How you doing today, man? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Uh, busy. 
which is a good thing. Like that. Yeah. New day job. And uh, yeah, we're crushing it. So what about you, dude? Uh, same. I mean, lots of awesome things are happening. Um, so we're busy. We're, it's a good kind of busy. So I'm very thankful uh, to be busy, but uh, I'm excited for one day when it's not busy and I can take a deep breath. But at the same time, uh, I like it after it. So it's kind oh, of yeah. nice. Nice. So tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So what's your background? Like, how'd you get into the running coaching uh, world? How'd you start your company? Take it away. Uh, absolutely. So kind of, I'll give you a little background about how running started. Uh, when I was in high school, I was actually an offensive lineman. So I was a bigger dude uh, and I wanted to be faster. And so I went to the track and asked the coach, Hey, can, can I run? And he said, no, you're too big to run. And I just remember the feeling I had when he did that. And I was like, man, that's, that stinks. So I dropped 60 pounds, got into it, junior college, started running, got on the triathlon club. I did this whole thing, got my bachelor of science in kinesiology. I really fell in love with how the body moved. Uh, ultimately, uh, stopped pursuing that and went into the fire service, worked in the fire service for uh, six and a half years, um, Cal Fire for three, two and a half or three, and then worked for the city of Lodi Fire Department for about three and a half years. Uh, and then I resigned. Uh, and I do this full time, uh, pursuing a passion of helping people move and by motivating through movement. So that's kind of a, a little backstory about it. Nice. I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, absolutely, man. So you got a passion project going, huh? And you moved out of fire and you've done both structure and wildland. So you're very familiar yes. with how much we run. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It's so I think you run a lot when you uh, Oh, go ahead. No, I think you, you, you run a lot in the beginning and then maybe not run as much as you should or want to. And then you run. Oh yeah, oh, yeah man. And that's the thing too. I think it's important that we have a discussion like this and have a professional who's educated in the context and the subject of running on the show, this particular part, uh, this particular time of year, because everybody's starting to come on for the season. Everybody's just probably getting their ass kicked right now doing hell week. And it's not going to stop until the end of the season. And then you might have some recovery, but then you have to train for next year. So with that, let's talk about what you specialize in with Landsharks. So uh, I, anywhere from elite to off the couch is where I specialize. Um, generally, I have a, let's say an equation or a theory uh, that I believe uh, produces results. And my result is ultimately trying to get you to the start line healthy, um, and happy. So as long as I can do those things, uh, plus being injury free, uh, then that's, that's a bonus for me. I don't think people realize uh, how hard it is to train extremely hard and get to the start line injury free without any problems. Uh, and so ultimately my goal is to have a relationship with my, my client in such a way that we can work to accomplish that goal together. So kind of it. do you take the more one-on-one -on -one approach and kind of optimize each individual or do you do group as well? So I do both. I think that, um, the, however you want to call it the benefit of having a one-on-one -on -one coach versus just, let's say a plan that's out there. A plan is great, but everybody's different. Kind of how we had talked about earlier. Uh, but having that one-on-one -on -one coach isn't just helping you be a better runner. They're having a relationship with you and that relationship understands that you have kids, you have a job, uh, they understand that life stress has happened. And so that one-on-one -on -one is super valuable and important. Um, but we don't need to take for granted the fact that just moving, um, 
at a decent pace sometimes is going to be a, the best thing for you. So just all that in general. Oh, absolutely. Now you mentioned running without injury and injury avoidance. So I know everybody is terrified of getting injured, especially if you're a wildlander structure firefighter, right? If you're in any firefighter or someone who just relies on their body to do their job, it doesn't matter if you're a construction worker. It doesn't matter if you're a, a, a cop, an LEO, I mean, firefighter, it's all very body driven industries, right? We work with our hands, we work with the legs, we rely on our bodies. And I know a lot of people out there have to suffer with injuries. So how do we, what's like your recipe for identifying like, potential injuries? Like, is it just pacing? Is it, what is it, man? Like listening to your body? I mean, that's the most basic way to kind of do that is to listen to your body and to know the difference between, Hey, I have a calf, this kind of a calf tight calf or like a little bothersome in the calf. And the fact that when I run, it feels like someone's stabbing me in the calf. Uh, so listening to your body in that way. Uh, but ultimately I think, um, the best way to do it is to have a plan, uh, achieve that plan, uh, but prioritizing rest. So Steve Magnus is a, a really famous uh, running coach and uh, author and has a really cool couple of books calling doing hard things and peak performance. Uh, and in those books, he stresses stress plus rest equals growth. Uh, so a lot of times I like to remind my athletes that if we want our biceps to get bigger, right, we're going to do some bicep curls. We're going to break apart that muscle, but it's not going to get bigger and or better or stronger unless we give it rest. Um, when I've talked to other coaches and we're trying to, uh, he's expressing the importance of what a professional athlete maybe be versus an everyday person like me might be, uh, the professional athlete gets paid to recover. We necessarily don't get paid to recover. So I might use going to work as my recovery or, uh, going and doing something with my kids or yard work as my recovery. When you might have a professional athlete who's doing the sauna, the ice bath, the compression shorts, uh, rolling out, stretching, doing all these things. Um, so, uh, if you want to relate the professional athlete to a firefighter anyway, uh, the biggest thing is that firefighters are, they need to know that they're actually uh, a professional athlete. So you need to prioritize that rest and do those things appropriately to kind of help you with injury prevention. We can dive into that for a long time, but that's kind of just a blanket statement. Oh, flood, flood the airwaves with all of the knowledge, man. Cause recovery is one yeah. of those things that's oftentimes overlooked, especially in the tactical athlete. And I know some people love that term. Some people hate it. Some people are indifferent to the term tactical athlete, but I don't really under, I don't really know what else to call wildland firefighters or firefighters in general, besides tactical athletes, or like you said, professional athletes. So mm -hmm. let's go down the deep path, the deep end of recovery. Take it away, man. Sleep. Sleep. Uh, that, that's where you start. I mean, uh, when I was in, and I think you, you brought it to the point when we first started talking about how, you know, it's hell week right now. Everyone's kind of getting their ass kicked and doing all these things. Um, I'm not saying slow down. I'm saying beat your operators. Uh, be the first person to uh, volunteer for the, all the things that you're going to be doing. Uh, but at the same time, when, when you are, when you're done with the fuel that you put in your body, the type of food that you're eating, uh, the rest, the water, the hydration, all those things are so valuable and important that we take it for granted. I think that a lot of times when we're doing these things, uh, we always look for that quick fix or so supplement. Someone's like, Hey man, I want to take ZMAs. I want to take creatine. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, when, if we just prioritize sleep, 
sleep is where a lot of stuff is produced. You know, you're getting your actual HGH, human growth hormone that's being produced in that first part of your sleep. If you prioritize sleep, it's like taking steroids. So if you want to take steroids, go to sleep and prioritize it. Have a, um, a routine, do these things, uh, make sure that you're not drinking water too late close to bed. Cause then you're going to be up peeing all night. Uh, make sure you're stopping having caffeine intake. When I was on probation, I was having two bangs a day. Oh, I didn't sleep. Yeah, I was, it was terrible. I would have a bang in the morning because we didn't sleep all night because we were up all night. And then I would have to be, I didn't have to, I got to be the first person to wake up and be in there making sure the coffee is made and the dishes were done and everything was clean. And then we'd get ran all day. Then we train all day and I'd be, and I had a captain who would have an energy drink at like three in the afternoon. So he wouldn't go to bed till like two in the morning. So I'd be oh, the last one. Uh, it was just like a, a vicious cycle. And I caught myself just like, oh, mental fatigue like everything, every kind of fatigue you can think of I had. Uh, and so, uh, just finding a way to, uh, prioritize sleep is going to be the best way to kind of do that. And then let's say sleep's at the top and, uh, food, nutrition, hydration. How are you doing that? Eating real food more often eating sometimes more than you think you need to eat. Um, replenishing the stuff that you're using. So not only as you're working, I just have snacks in my pocket. And, uh, and so when I would be working, I'd take like a second and just throw stuff in my mouth and eat so that I can work longer because you're ultimately using that as a fuel source. Uh, so doing that and then making sure you're hydrated. I know that in Cal fire, I don't know about other places, but they're always like, Hey, three waters to every Gatorade kind of thing, making sure that you're not getting overdone. Uh, there's just a lot. I mean, that's just a, a huge ticket item. So my biggest thing for recovery, sleep, the nutrition, and then we can go down another road about a bunch of other stuff, but I'll, I'll just stop there. Keep it going, dude. This is important stuff. Cause I was a huge proponent of recovery. Um, I mean, targeted recovery when I was when in the fire, uh, industry when I was uh, working, especially when I was, uh, on the, uh, in, in Doyle well, on my engine crew and like, we've developed a pretty, a bitching PT program out there mm-hmm. and, uh, people weren't getting hurt. And I think that's like a telltale sign of what's effective, uh, in the long run, as long as people aren't getting, you know, fucked up with during the time that they're trying to you know, recover or, you know, they're trying to train to be optimized in the jobs. That's, that's, that's successful in my book. Right. So what else Absolutely. do we have that's in the recovery frame? Uh, let's talk about, uh, the actual work that you're doing. I was a coach at a CrossFit gym and, uh, seeing that and the relationship between that and the fire service. I think that some of those high intensity interval training workouts are really good if you're working for a short period of time and then you need to do some stuff right afterwards. Like we do salvage and overhaul. So we'd fight a fire for 15 minutes or five, 10 minutes, whatever it was. And then the actual work started pool ceiling, doing all these things. Uh, but if you didn't have that ability to kind of go balls to the wall and then have like this moderate state, you'd have to fill out your BA or your bottle all the time. And you would just be worthless. If you're on the side of a hill and you're scratching line or you're doing something and you just freaking, you got knocked out because you were maybe using something a little too hard or scratching line too long or on the chainsaw for too long. And you went through three tanks of gas and you were just too much pride. But then your captain has to call on the radio like, Hey, we got, uh, firefighter Garrett's down. We can't do this kind of stuff. Um, the type of training that we're doing, uh, is important. So, uh, this is where I kind of nerd out is this whole, this zone two um, thing that a lot of people like to talk about, but they don't necessarily understand why they're doing zone two. Um, zone two just gives you this huge pool 
that you can actually pull energy systems from by using what you're producing in this anaerobic area. And then it's using it as a fuel source. So you're just prolonging your ability to work. And uh, what we're doing in the fire services, you're just trying to find the best way and the longest way to work. And if we can find the energy systems and the um, fuel source that do that, you're going to be a better firefighter. Uh, people are going to want to work with you because you're able to work for a long period of time and then recover fast. So uh, prioritizing recovery, but also knowing that the types of training that you're doing is going to help you be a better individual on the fire line, on the fire scene, wherever else you're kind of going to be. I gotcha. So usually those, those two different pathways, those, I guess, aerobic pathways, you would say aerobic and anaerobic. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, I guess what I'm trying to get those energy pathways, there's what, three of them, three primary Mm -hmm. ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that short burst of energy, that's going to be like your, your weightlifting, you're like going for one rep max, right? That's going to be the fastest release and the easiest to recover, right? Uh, like 10 to 12 seconds. It's not the easiest to recover. Uh, but like if I were going to implement them on a training plan, I might give you a 10 to 12 second burst, like let's say a hundred meter sprint, but then I'm going to give you a long period of recovery uh, because it takes a lot longer to get that fuel source ready to go. Is that gotcha. Okay. What about that second one? So that second one that you're talking about, I like to vision every, in my eyes, I'm looking at kind of running. So we're looking at 800 and below. Uh, what people don't understand is that whenever you're using any fuel source, you're going to use all three fuel sources. So even though if you're trying to prioritize one fuel source, you're going to use another one. Uh, and what I find important is that you're not just, um, implementing it in a way that, uh, is your way to do it or in running or in firefighting. I literally, I just pulled these books out of my backpack because at the moment they're going over all this stuff. And I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed, this book is MMA conditioning who, who reads I'm a runner. I'm not fighting anybody. And then the inner game of tennis, um, they're just different kind of coaching methodologies that you need to know that they're all going to tell you these kinds of things that are going to give you information. I don't, I don't know everything, uh, but there are people out there that know a lot more than I do, but I can kind of get that information in and try to regurgitate it. But yeah. So you were talking about the creatine phosphate, the glycolytic and then oxidative kind of different types of energy Couldn't remember. It's been a long time since my CrossFit level one. (laughs) There you go. But when you're using different types of fuel sources, they're all going to be integrated into one. And I mean, uh, over time, you're going to go through all of them when I'm doing any type of training plan or training thing, you can find ways to have a, let's say a a 20 second or a 10 second bout, but I'm going to have a longer bit of rest so that I can fully get that regenerated to go again. And then if I'm going to do like oxidative, right, which is the longer one where we're breathing it in and we're getting that CO2 out, those kind of different types of exercises are what I value because having more of that and better functioning ability, let's say like your capillary, uh, or your capillary density or all these things that you have at your mitochondria function, you're going to be able to use that oxygen, use that lactate that's produced in a different type of energy system as a fuel source. And it's just crazy how it all works out and how your body just uses these things. Have you heard of lactic acid, like being a bad thing? Mm, I mean, now that I understand like a, a, ba- a bit of baseline science behind the, the utility of lactic acid, it's changed mm-hmm. my perceptions, but everybody me included. I mean, I still, I still have that perception of like lactic acid being directly constant, like directly correlated to like soreness, right? Oh, you just got to work the lactic acid out of your muscles. Mm -hmm. So let's, if you want to get into that, I mean, yeah, that's, uh, 
I mean, that's my favorite thing to talk about because I, I was under the impression. I remember when I ran uh, cross country or track at my junior college, um, we would talk about the lactic acid buildup and we were trying to do all these things. So lactate, lactate, and then you actually have a hydrogen molecule that's in there. That's what's causing the acidity. The lactate is actually a good source of fuel. They're trying to figure out all these things and finding new ways that lactate is actually a good thing. And you're using it as a fuel source. So you can take it in with pyruvate and doing all these really cool things, how it breaks down and gets funneled back into, let's say this factory called the mitochondria kind of produced back out. And you can use it as an ATP. So you can actually have another muscle contraction. So what I'm trying to do in my type of training philosophy in the fire service or in uh, triathletes or runners and doing all these things is find a way to uh, be the most or the best functioning uh, athlete for a longer period of time. Like I said, from the beginning, we're trying to build from that pool. I want you to have such a vast, um, what's it called? Variety of fuel to pull from that you can work for a long period of time. Uh, someone way smarter than me, uh, his name's Chris Henshaw. I don't know if you know Chris Henshaw from the aerobic capacity. He's a big CrossFit kind of endurance guy. He had a really good um, analogy for it. And so he did a revolver. So like a little gun and in the middle, you had a, a fast twitch muscle and around that fast twitch muscle, let's say you only had, let's say you had all the slow twitch. You had 30 slow twitch muscle around that one fast twitch, right? And then there's me on the other hand, I'm over here and I have a fast twitch in the middle, but I only have like two or three slow twitch muscles. Let's say we start working in the field. I'm starting to use a chainsaw, whatever. I go through my two slow twitch muscle fibers that I'm thinking about. I go back to go regenerate from that slow twitch. I can't do it. I go into my fast twitch. Boom. I'm done. I'm fatigued. I'm a T-Rex, right? You get those cramps from being <laughs> the on the chainsaw too long. Yes. I'm sitting there and I can't do it anymore. You, on the other hand, are on your third tank of gas, working the chainsaw on the manzanita like mofo, right? You're just going to town on it. And you're like, how's this guy able to do this? It's because you have these slow twitch muscles. So you have them. And then they're around this whole little, remember, this is a fast switch. We're going around, you're going slow twitch, slow twitch. You're going back around. By the time you get back to your 29th, 30th slow twitch, you're able to use that fuel source that you've been producing again. And you're going to go, you're not going to get to that fast twitch yet. Yeah, and you're, so not gonna you're, you're not going to get gassed out. And so yeah. you're able to do these things for a lot longer period of time. And you saw this in CrossFit. You saw CrossFit athletes. Um, they would be really good at Fran. Mm -hmm. like two minutes or three minutes. And then you would put them in a 10 to a 15, maybe 20 minute workout and they're just done. And you're, or you throw like, Murph wow, at them like, and they're just going yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what are you doing? Uh, but if they had done some different types of training, like sitting on a bike for 45 minutes at 200 Watts at a lower heart rate, uh, if they'd done these other things like going for a slow, easy jog, but actually going for a slow jog, not being that competitive person that they might be because they're in CrossFit, they're doing these other things, uh, where they're like, Hey, I I'm going to beat everybody. Uh, and so in, in doing that, if we change the mindset and the framework of these training plans, we can make them better individuals, not only, uh, on the fire line, but in life. And so that, um, when we're getting people to be, uh, firefighters, right. I don't know how long you've been a, a firefighter, how many years you've been one, but it's not the first year. It's not the second year. It's trying to get to the 30th year happy and healthy so that you can maintain that relationship later after you're done. So you can continue to do whatever it is that you love after you retire. So that, that was a big, we went really down deep into that one, but that's my, my passion. Yeah, so that's what I get into. Well, that's, a, that's the thing, though. I think it's it's good to have that kind of uh, eye opening discussion, especially to a lot of people that are getting into you know their next season of fire, because mm -hmm. it's not about what's right in front of you. It's 
yeah, it's, it's about making it to, you know, you're 25 and out or you're 20 and out and not having a fucked up rotator cuff or absolutely blown out knees and all that stuff, mm-hmm. man. And we're very prone to injury. And also I think that's added, uh, I, I, let me rephrase that. We can become prone to injury because of the constant go, 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 go. Right. We are not very good at recovery, but also at the same time, we don't quit because we're super competitive. So that, that CrossFit like competition thing, especially along, mm. like along the lines of crew life, that's a very real thing. So, I mean, well, absolutely. You, yeah. I, I'm, I'm undefeated up any hill in California with my crew or anyone in Cal fire. That was my claim to fame, right? I was the first up the hill every single time. And if anyone beat me, no one beat me because I would either die or I would beat them up the hill. And that was my, my thought process. I had actually just recently given a, a, a little a seminar at a, a local Cal Fire camp and the Ponderosa crew, if you're out there, fantastic work, uh, another level, they're the tip of the spear. They're doing awesome stuff. Um, but they brought me in to kind of talk about these things uh, to help them so that they can produce the best crew out there so that they're not the best for the first 15 minutes. They're the best for the whole 24 hour shift that they're on or whatever shift pattern that they're on. Uh, I was going through all my pictures because I was putting together a slideshow for them. And I found a picture of my old crew from Riverside. I worked at Riverside for about a year and I had a solid crew. I had, that was my first season ever. I had amazing senior firemen. I had really good firemen that I was coming up with. And one of them on the picture that I found was Kelly Wong and Kelly Wong, uh, a year after this picture was taken was killed, um, during a training. The, the fact is the picture that was, I was looking at, he was in it. A year later, the next picture I found is me at his funeral. And so it just shows you how close um, the person next to you is that you might not know if they're going to be there the next year. So I want to start with that. Uh, if what I want to say to that crew that's getting after it, one, I, I will never tell you to, to not be competitive and not to be the first person up the hill uh, because that's, that's something you should always strive for. If I, my, none of my operators, I would not let my operators beat me. I would not let my chief beat me. I would not let my captain beat me up the hill. I believe that's a good thing to do to attempt or to try to do and to be the best that you can be. I'd always be the first person to volunteer because I wanted to be the person who was getting after it and going. So I'll never tell anybody not to do that. What I am telling people to do is that if we are going to have a method of training of Uh, let's say this is another little word or quotation marks is 80, 20, 80% of the time we're going to be doing kind of easy, moderate stuff to lower heart rate training and 20% of the time we're getting after it. The 20% of the time, make that a competition where you're trying to be the best. You're trying to be the fastest. Don't do that every single day. The 80% of the time, let's find a different target for you to do that. Let's find it. Who can stay on a, a bike and hold Watts of 200 at a lower heart rate for the longest period of time without falling off, without getting their heart rate up. I'm going to be better aerobically gifted because I planned out that way. And I changed the target of my workout to do that, but I'm still winning, right? It's because I was able to do it for a longer period of time. So if you and I were on the bike next to each other and you're able to hold the 200 Watts and keep a heart rate of 148 or whatever, and you're able to do that for an hour. And then I can hold 200 Watts and I can only do it for 30 minutes. And now my heart rates through the roof you beat me and you're the better athlete in that kind of scenario. So let's change the framework of our competition. Um, if we're always 
getting our ass kicked. We're always doing these things continuously. We're not allowing ourselves to fully recover. Then we're just going to be adrenal fatigue. We're going to be completely wrecked. We're going to be in a bad mood. Our sex drive is going to be off. Our hormones are going to be all messed up. You don't want to be that person that comes home and is like, you want to be that person that comes home to your kids. You're feeling ready. You're feeling ready to go. You're a good father, a spouse, partner, whatever you are. Uh, so you don't just do it for that. You do it for the other part. I don't know if that kind of answered your question, but that was just, I think what I was trying to allude to is like the, uh, especially in the wildland, especially hotshot crews, type two IA crews. Um, I, I think the thing I was trying to allude to was that we embrace like a suffer culture and I understand the utility of being able to suffer through some gnarly crap and like be able mm-hmm. to still put out work under austere environments. And that's sometimes re- trying to be replicated in uh, training in mm-hmm. PT programs. But I think that there's a better way to do it. What are your thoughts on that? Um, so uh, again, um, Steve Magnus has a book called Do Hard Things. Uh, and in this book, he quotes a story about a football camp where this coach took his crew or let's just call his crew to this camp. And, uh, they went with, I don't know how many, I'm making these numbers up. They went with 70 people. They came back with 25 people. Uh, and then a few years later, they ended up winning the state championship. They attributed the winning of that state championship to or the national championship, whatever it is to that hard football camp. So when I was in football in high school, we were, you remember the Titans, like blue is no longer tired, nor thirsty, that whole line, like that culture is in, in high school football. Right. And uh, it's also in the fire service. So MBD, but they attributed to that really hard, super hard football camp. When they come back to it, they found out that the only people that were that made it through that football camp that were still involved were only three. And the people that were really good were the red shirt freshmen who didn't even go to the football camp. And then the people that didn't make it from the football camp were actually all Americans and they ended up being professional athletes. So the football camp itself wasn't the thing. It was just the timing of everything. And so they miscalculated this whole thing because they thought it was this one super hard, like I'm going to grind you to the bone kind of camp when ultimately it wasn't that. And that probably hindered their experience. But that's where this culture started. And so in the fire service, uh, I was told that their goal was to make me quit every single day. That was a goal uh, because they wanted me to earn my respect or earn their respect. And I 100% agree with it because your life is on the line. You don't want someone that's going to be there to say like, hey, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hot. Like You don't want that person behind no, you. You don't. Um, you don't. But y- you need to know and prioritize that as I'm doing those things, um, and that culture that's in there to be a bigger person to know that maybe that isn't the best way to produce firefighters, that there are other ways that we can make that firefighter a better individual and a better firefighter in general. Like look at it as individual, that person will be able to work more. They're going to be there on the line because they're not going to be injured. Uh, they're going to be uh, healthier. Their mental status is going to be great. They're not going to break down in stressful situations all because we kind of took a step back and we looked at the bigger picture of this person's career for a long period of time. Uh, I feel like I, I am like going around your question without answering it exactly. And I can't put my, uh, uh, how am I, how, I don't know. So am I closer? I feel like I'm closer. Yeah. And yeah. And um, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to 
get into the next topic with that with that conversation of like preventing injuries. And especially if you're a leadership on the crew, if you're a squatty mm-hmm. or the crew boss or the superintendent or whatever, or even the, you can even lead from the bottom on this one. Uh, if you're just the regular firefighter, right. Mm-hmm. Lowest of the, of the <laughs> organizational chain. Right. I mean, reading the room, I think that's kind of imp- important as far as preventing injury. Now, not every two individuals are going to be the same and it's not a one size fits all kind of, PT program. And we, we need mm-hmm. to be aware of that. Of course, you've already said that. Um, but as far as reading the room, so to speak, what are some tips and tricks that you have for the leadership out there to identify like, Hey, my crew's dragging ass. Are we overworking them? Are we under recovering them? What are we doing here? Uh, I think it's a humility. Um, I think it's a big one. And that's just in everything that you do. I will never say that I know everything. And if I do, you, don't listen to me because if anyone ever tells anybody that they, they know everything they're wrong because there's always another way there's, they might be right, but there's another way that someone else might be right as well. Uh, so in, in, in that framework, humility, um, a prime example is, uh, someone had contacted me and said, Hey, I cannot, uh, last that long on these runs. I'm getting wrecked by these kids. Like what? is wrong. And I said, I talked to this person and I said, okay, well, let's see what you're doing. Like, what do your runs look like? And he goes, I run three miles every day at a seven minute mile pace. It's probably really good at that. (laughs) That's it. Right. That's it. So, uh, yeah. So I I read a book by Matt Fitzgerald called 80, 20. And, um, in this book, he had talked about, um, running a seven minute mile, three miles every single day and not getting any better. There's two different, um, stresses that we're trying to hit. So I'm going off on topic. Let's talk about, answer your question. Uh, humility with a captain, understanding that maybe they, their version might've worked for one group last year or 2019's group, but this group is a little bit different and we need to mold and find a way to make this group better. And a good leader would be able to admit or take a step back and see that there's a difference in quality or a difference in training methodology that is going to help um, progress their crew. It's not a bad crew. It's like, it's not a bad kid. It's a bad parent. So if you take it the same way, you can't get mad at the child for being a jerk. It's probably because of their parents. So if you look at a captain or a lieutenant or uh, any cadre that's out there, if they're able to ask for help and maybe an area that they don't really specialize in, uh, then they're probably gonna have a better crew. So if I don't know too much about ropes or heavy rescue and all that stuff, I'm gonna bring in someone that's really good at ropes at heavy rescue so that I can learn and also my crew can learn. Uh, if I'm not great at, um, let's say wildland, I'd go learn from the best wildland out there. Uh, but I might not be good at wildland, but I might be really good at structure, you know? So it's like, you gotta find where where you're you're really good and you're not very good and be humble enough to ask for help. So I think that's my advice for people out there is, and that's what I like to, um, uh, lead, I guess, by, by example is to admit and be real with the people, uh, and, and to let them know or understand that, Hey, I don't know that answer, uh, but I will do everything I can to find it for you and we can find it together and let's learn about this together. No, absolutely. I don't know if that helps. Yeah. Well, I think that's a two way street too. Cause I think that the firefighter, we get into this culture of like never quit this never quit culture, which is admirable. It's, it's great. It's what keeps us alive, right? It's what mm-hmm. keeps us together in shitty situations. However, 
<laughs> you have to have a real discussion with yourself. Cause I mean, I've been guilty of injuring people during PT. I've actually given somebody rap and I kick myself in the goddamn <sighs> head every day for it. Okay. But yeah. the thing that it was a blind spot for me with that whole situation was they were very much never quit no matter what it was, they were built to never fail. And I, it, it was a, it was, a, it was a, a woman too. And she was one of the best damn firefighters ever. Right. She kicked mm-hmm. wholesale ass during the whole PT program, but then she got injured because I had that blind spot that she could keep going and I wasn't reading the room. So I guess I, saying um, something too, you know, I, I think what you alluded to was that you were doing something that was harder and you knew that your crew would never be a never quit mentality. Um, and when we do that as let's say a, a cadre or a captain or whatever rank you are, uh, to understand, right. To know that she was that type of individual that was just going to be like, I will die before I let you take me off of this hill. And she probably has something to prove. I don't know, maybe. And so she's going to get it and she's just going to get after it. And she's going to go for it or he's going to get it. And he's going to get after it. Um, at that point, let's say now that you've experienced that and you understand that and have learned that now you can go back to that same situation and we can look at the, the type of training that you're doing at that time, or let's say the type of workout. So I was doing, we're running up these hills. We were doing all these things. We were scratching lines, whatever we were cut line. We were doing this. Um, we could still get a benefit from the type of, uh, what are the, the outlook I'm going to get. So the, the load focus or the training focus. So instead of being like, um, I'm going to do as many 100 meter repeats, versus I'm going to run a 400 at the exact same pace within one or two seconds, 20 times. So it's just changing the load focus or the training focus of the goal of the workout is going to be the difference of doing that and being a good leader, a good captain is understanding where to grab your, 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 I guess your athletes or your crew to lead them to that one spot. So understanding, and that's what a good coach is, right? A good coach knows that I might have one athlete that could do 14 hours a week of training. He's a financial advisor. He's doing all these crazy things. He has two children and he, he works out for 15 hours a week on top of all these other things. Then I have another athlete that only works out an hour and a half total a week. They're still getting better. Yeah. Right? Uh, they're just at different levels. So yeah, that whole progression thing too, because I think a lot of things relate to running. Not only you kind of you kind of talked about it earlier and kind of hinted at it, but running directly translates to your hiking ability, to your weightlifting ability, to your mental fortitude, your <laughs> your recovery. I mean, it's it's it, all these things kind of revolve around each other. It's not one specialty thing. It's it's all of it put together, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, go ahead. No, I was, it seems like you're leading to a, a good balance is going to produce the best athletes. Uh, and so being aware of what that balance is, some people don't know. And, um, from an outside perspective, a balance in one area might be great versus another area. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I think the balance is kind of key because I mean, crews that just are only running, I mean, you're good at running, but what else can you do to, you know, throw into the mix? Right. 
Yeah, you talk about what are you doing when you're throwing the philosophy? Like, are you, are you doing cross body movements? Are you just running? Like I coach a, a kid's running club and in that running club, we're going over, uh, everyone can go forwards or backwards. Well, a lot of kids can only go forward. Not a lot of them can go backwards. Uh, but we're doing lateral movements. We're doing, uh, plyometrics. We're doing broad jumps. We're doing these things. We're doing single leg isolation at such a young age because we're developing these skills in a fun way, like playing tag or lateral tag or doing these things that are going to make them better individuals later in life. Uh, and so, and doing that and being aware of those things are super important. So I got you. So let's get back into the injury thing. So I know a lot of uh, people out there, they're concerned about shin splints and that's like the number one thing out there. I want to say, as far as like running, I wouldn't necessarily, what would you call it? An injury? Would you say it's an injury? Uh, so that's, that's or a tough deficiency, maybe. Yeah, no, a hundred percent of deficiency. So it'd be a strength problem, uh, or just, uh, uh, like you said, progression. So a load, uh, going too fast, too soon or too much volume over a short amount of time. So there's stress fractures that happen. Um, there's shin splints. Uh, I've had all of them. And so, uh, I, that's probably my number one questions is like, Hey, how do I get rid of shin splints? And I'll say, I, I start with your feet. And so the f- first thing uh, I would talk about, and I said this at my last clinic is that I'm not an Instagram influencer watching the sunrise, taking a video of myself with my shirt off, looking down at my feet, grounding to the earth or whatever. If that's what you're into, fantastic. But I am telling you to take your shoes off every once in a while and grab the grass and just see what that feels like. I'm trying to make my children athletes so that they can pay for their college and I can save some money. Uh, And so by doing that, I take them to parks uh, and we run barefoot and we play tag. And so by doing that, I'm grounding them. I'm getting them to use the muscles inside their feet. There's actually a, um, a fire coach who's a coach who's paid to coach the fire academy I was in. And he had us run sprints barefoot on this uh, football field. And my feet had never been more sore in my life. So starting there, knowing that there's muscles and everything in there that are connecting you, that are connecting to your shins. Your shin is actually the reason why you're kind of doing that is you're trying to get this muscle to our, this bone to kind of straighten out and you're trying to get these, all these muscles, your stability muscles in there and they're overactivating and you're doing it too fast. So you're stressing them out and you're doing this stuff and you haven't been doing mobility. You haven't been doing strength work with a band. You haven't been doing dorsiflex. You haven't been doing all these things to get your feet ready for it. And then you start increasing. So now I was, let's say I was 18. I was able to run 40 miles a week. Now I'm 28. And now I'm trying to run 40 miles a week. Oh, I've done that when I was a kid. Like I could do that now. I'm a man. Uh, being understanding that you're not where you used to be and you have to build right back up to that appropriately. So understanding that you can't just go from zero to a hundred, you have to gradually go up. And that's why a coach is so important because they're going to one, hold you back when you need to be held back. And they're also going to kind of lift you up when you're kind of feeling down. And so, uh, I get a lot of problems with these when I'm doing, um, crazy stuff with, uh, with different kinds of athletes. And I'm like, Hey, like what, what originated this? And they said, Oh, I was running 10 miles a week. Now I'm running 40 miles a week. Okay. Well, there's your problem. <laughs> yeah. Too much, too fast. So yeah. frequency, intensity, loading. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. All of it. I mean, and, and starting let's, I mean, you and I talked about like shoes earlier. Um, something that's super important is if once your feet are established, right. And we, and let's say that you, you have, you develop the strength in your feet, you develop the strength in your calf and in your shin and doing all these things. Uh, you grounded yourself, you're doing mobility and you were doing strength work and you still have this 
problem. And you're like, man, what is it? Then you look down your shoes and they're from 2008. And you're like, yeah, I've had these same Nikes. <laughs> it's got like 270 miles on them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's a, there's a life of a shoe. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying like this shoe goes out and parties every Friday night. I'm saying that the life expectancy of a shoe is anywhere from about 200 to 400, depending on the type of phone and durability that you have in these shoes. So if you look at these shoes and you start seeing wear and tear and the foam and the rubber on the bottom, you don't even see, you just see just smoothness. Uh, that's time for new shoes. You can go to fleet feet. You can go to these other shoe stores that will legitimately scan your foot. And they are trained to look at how your foot goes around on the earth and feels all this stuff. And they will give you shoot, not give you, but they will uh, give you a list of four or five shoes that will fit your foot appropriately because there's different types of foam. There's different types of uh, coverage. There's different types of laces. There's different types of rubber on the back, stability, neutral, all these different heel types rise, of shoes. That you, flat foot, oh, neutral. Oh, like We can get into all this stuff. I mean, heel rise. I have people come up to me and they'll say, Hey, my, my Achilles is busted or like my heel hurts. I'm like, okay, cool. Like what were you doing? Oh, I'm training for a marathon. I was in new balance. And I was like, all right, what was the drop on that? And they'll be like, right, what's a drop? And I'll be like, okay, well, the, the distance from the foam on this bottom part to this front part, let's say it was eight millimeters. And they're like, yeah, but I got these shoes, the Altas or Ultras or whatever they're called. And they have a really wide toe box. I'm like, cool, but that's a zero drop. So you went running 40 to 50 miles a week in an eight millimeter drop shoe. Now you went to a zero drop shoe. So now you just strained your cap. I'm not saying that a zero drop shoe is bad. I'm just saying going from an eight to a zero is bad. Go from an eight to a six to a four then maybe do a zero doing that appropriately. I mean, it, once you see like the shin splints progression, it relates to everything. If you want to be, if you want to lose weight, if you go from losing 30 pounds and then now you're, you lost it. And now you're like, Oh, now I weigh 33 pounds heavier. You're going on this up and down Oprah Winfrey diet, right? Doing these stuff because you didn't do it gradually. Everything in life takes a long, slow progression. It's simple. It's hard work and it's hard to sell. So that's kind of, I think that's a, a good point too, man. Cause like a lot of people don't want to admit that there is no fast track. There is no fast, easy way. There's no shortcuts when it comes to your personal fitness. I mean, if you look at people like take Ronnie Coleman, for instance, yeah, he's busted now. Dude is broke mm -hmm. off. However, he was an Olympian champion. He was a champ, right? He was the goat of mm -hmm. weightlifting, but he dedicated his entire freaking life to that. Granted, he had some performance enhancers on board the entire time, but still that was his thing, right? He still had yeah. took the dedication to do it. Rome wasn't built in a day. So absolutely. I mean, what do you, what do you have to say about pacing on that one and just expectations, setting realistic expectations and not beating the shit out of yourself for not progressing like tomorrow? Well, I think, uh, someone was asking me about, we talked about the lower heart rate training. And so we talked about the MOF method or, uh, VT ventilatory threshold uh, and all these types of things. And, um, they're like, how often should we retest or when should we see results? And I said, uh, to kind of reiterate, the MOF method is you take 180 minus your age and then you plus or minus five based on previous uh, running experience or just uh, in shapeness, injury, sickness, and you can do all that stuff. So 130 or 180 minus my age puts me at a 145. And then I add five because I'm in okay shape. And so I'm around 150. So that's my where I think my kind of heart rate is when I want to be in the zone two kind of thing. Uh, another way to tell if you don't have a heart rate monitor, if you and I are going on a run and we're talking to each other and I'm sitting there and I'm saying, man, this zone two training is awesome. I'm not in zone two, right? <laughs> I should be able to have this conversation with you and do this 
at a, a different type of ventilatory threshold. So uh, starting there and understanding that that pace is what I should do 80% of the time. I should be doing these types of workouts where I can do that and have a nice jog. I'm going to see the adaptation that I'm looking for. I'm going to see an increase in capillaries. I'm going to see an increase in density and in function in my mitochondria, which again are those little factories that we're going to take in and use kind of that energy source. So um, in, in pacing, I want to say, don't necessarily think about where you were when you were, when you were 18. Cause if I tried to run as fast as I did and recover as fast as I did when I was 18, I probably have a stroke and die, right? Cause 18, you're full of testosterone and all that stuff. Um, understanding that, like you said, it's going to take time. The a prime example, I was looking for an easy, uh, remedy. I had this grouping of about 20 weeds in my yard. You're like, what are you talking about weeds in the yard for running? And I was, I called my buddy who's really good at yard stuff. I'm like, dude, how the heck do I get rid of this stuff? I can't figure it out. And I was like, maybe he has like some fertilizer that works. Maybe he has this one thing. He goes, you got to pull all, all the weeds out in that area. And then that will get rid of them. I'm like, dude, no, there's gotta be like an easier way. And he said, no. And so I pulled the weeds out and then they came back, but there's a little bit smaller. And then a week later, I pulled the weeds out a little smaller and now I have zero weeds in my yard. And I was just like, this is the perfect example of trying to find an easy pill when the hard thing for a slow amount of time is the correct answer. And so uh, that's the kind of analogy I like to use is um, we talked about that seven minute mile, or maybe they said an eight or nine minute mile. Let's say you go for a run right now and you think running a nine minute mile is slow. And then I put a heart rate monitor on you and you're running a nine minute mile, but your heart rate's at 162. I'm thinking to myself like, okay, a nine minute mile for him right now is maybe not the right stimulus we're looking for. So we're going to change it to a 10, 11, maybe even a 12, maybe even a walk, run, walk, run until we get this under control, maybe two, three weeks, maybe two months progression. We're doing this. Uh, when I started this whole 150, like my heart rate thing, I was running a 930 minute mile and I was keeping a, a 152 heart rate. Two and a half years later, I was running a 650 mile and I was keeping a sub 150 heart rate. So two and a half years of doing this adaptation, I saw results. So knowing that it's going to be a, a long period of time before you get to see these kind of things is a hard thing to, to think about and to swallow because it, it takes a long time. It's adaptation, which when you're looking at it right now, this decision you're making right now might seem super small, but over a long period of time, that 1% kind of thing is going to add up to astronomical amounts. So just being okay with that. Yeah. You get the compounding interest kind of get going on after a while, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, you're investing in yourself when it comes to, you know, doing the right thing and doing the right uh, threshold training or the right pacing, the loading, the frequency, all that shit that goes into fitness and physical fitness, you need to do it the right way or else you're just not going to get any gains or you'll plateau or get injured. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, when you talk about plateau or get injured, I get people uh, that absolutely get after it every day. And they're just like, dude, my legs hurt. I'm achy. I can't do this blah, blah, blah. And I just look at them and they're, they're not losing any weight. They're kind of staying at the same pace. They're not doing something. And then I, I really look at kind of what the stuff that they're doing and they're going to a CrossFit gym and are not, I'm not picking a CrossFit gym. That's just people I talk to. They're going to a gym 
and they get totally wrapped, not and they're <laughs> not, they're not across, they're not writing their name on the board with an RX next to it. Uh, any gym across it and they go and then they just try really, really hard and they're getting after it. They feel great. They're laying on the floor and they do it again the next day. They're getting after it. They're going after it. Then the next day they're doing it and they're just fatigued. They're chronically fatigued. They're overtrained. I actually was listening to one of your podcasts. Uh, if, if the people are listening to this podcast, there's a podcast, uh, I don't know who is a doctor and he was talking about all this cool stuff and he was talking about the signs of fatigue and chronic fatigue. And if you have any one of those symptoms, you need to relook at your training load and relook at your focus and understand the reason why you're doing what you're doing. Are you trying to be the best today? Are you trying to be the best for a lifetime? So that's kind of the thing. Copy that. So obviously overtraining kind of goes into the injury proneness, right? It exposes you to injury. Like, uh, I guess with the, the shin splints thing, that's like the baseline. I wanted to say that's like the quintessential go-to I want to say for running injuries, right. Or running deficiencies. Let's not call it an injury, but that could stem into something else, especially when it's combined with overtraining under recovery, whatever you want to call it. But now we work into things like hamstring injuries, like stuff that really can mess you up, especially if you go from like hiking all summer and mm-hmm. you decide to go do sprint work, like you're basically ass off the couch going into some pretty hardcore stuff. And we're, I don't think we're really aware of that. So what do you have to say on that? Uh, I mean, there's a prime example of, uh, I won't say what department it was, uh, but there was a captain who was racing a probationary in a hundred meter sprint. Uh, and this captain was very fast, uh, but he's also older. And so they went and they raced and he was winning. He was getting after, he's probably going to be the probationary. He's probably going to show him what's up. Pulls a hamstring. Absolutely devastates him. He's out of work. He's doing all this stuff. Uh, so with all my athletes, um, we kind of do a progression of drills and strides. So, um, you said like, Hey, you've been hiking and now you're trying to, during your off season or whatever, you're going to do sprints and you go from hiking kind of moderate stuff to like, I'm going to, get these spritz. Uh, if you don't do the appropriate, let's say warm up or build up again to progression, uh, activate the muscles that you're trying to activate, you're going to be, you're going to get injured. Uh, so when, when people ask me about changing their form or changing their gait or changing all this stuff, I, I don't necessarily try to manipulate their body into the correct position. I'm looking at different types of ways to trick them. So their body naturally does it on their own in ways that I trick them. Uh, it's a terrible way to say it, but I'm, I'm having them do drills and I'm having them land and doing these drills so that their foot's landing in the right spot so that their, their stride is doing this thing. So I, I have them run, I have them do these drills and then we go together and we work on these strides and these strides are, we're just connecting our brain to our body so that we're activating the right muscles. So these drills are prepping you to do these things appropriately so that when I implement you into these strides, I'm not putting you cold muscles into these things. I'm not doing static stretches before I have you sprint. I'm having you do these dynamic drills that are going to one, get your brain connected to your body. So you get the right muscles going. And two, we're doing it. So our, our, we're connected and we're doing it appropriately. We're not just kind of getting after it. The second one or the next thing uh, to trick people is we can put ourselves at a slant, right? If we're running up the hill, and if we're doing hill sprints, it's actually people think I'm going to get more injured doing hill sprints, but you're going to be at an advantage by doing hill sprints versus on a straight because you're putting yourself in the correct position. You're building the strength and durability of your muscles. I'm trying to produce what I call good pieces of Tupperware. 
that piece of Tupperware that you put into the dishwasher, it comes back out and you can use it again without it being warped. I like to say my athletes are good, glad Tupperware. They're happy, they're healthy, and they're durable, right? And so in doing that, you got to do the drills. You got to do the strides. You can't just go from hiking to sprinting. Um, I mean, there's another example. I, mean, I could go on for days. I had, uh, I wrote a workout for uh, a coach at a gym and I was doing this. He was trying to get faster. And so he saw, saw progression. He started feeling good. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get after it. And then I wrote this, uh, 150, 150 meter repeats. And we we're doing these repeats. Not we, he was doing these repeats and the third one or whatever, he pulled his hamstring. And I remember saying like, this is a hamstring destroyer. This, you need to do the drills, the strides, and you need to warm up. This is a slow jog for at least 15 minutes before, then do these drills and do these strides, and then do the 150s. We even do a workout before the 150s to trick them to warm up before they're doing the 150s. Uh, he, he texts me and he goes, Dude, I pulled a hamstring. I said, Hey, did you do your drills and strides? And did you do the warm up? And he texts me, like, took away the bubbles are there. It's kind of like just going. He, said, <laughs> he left yes. you on red. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he said, he said yes. And I was, but it took him a long time to say it. And then I saw him the next day and he was kind of walking all funny. And I'm like, Hey man, did you really do the drills and strides? And he goes, no. And I go, okay. Like that's why. So, um, to, I don't know. I think I answered your question to, to be better at those things, to prevent those injuries, you have to do the right things to appropriately warm you up and not go from uh, I'm not going to do an all-out sprint. My strides, I, strides are super important. If you don't know what strides are, Google them, YouTube them. There's a million different videos out there. I want you to do strides two to three times a week. And you do that for any bit of your program. Whenever I have an athlete, the first two, three weeks, even a month is once a week, we might be doing hill sprints or every other week we're doing hill sprints. And we're starting from four to six hill sprints and we're building ourselves up to 10 hill sprints. I'm doing the same thing with strides. I do strides before every race. I do strides before every big workout. I do strides as I'm doing a run at the end when I'm trying to progress them into an actual workout. So there's a bunch of different stuff. And if you want to be a better runner, learn how to do strides. Okay. So since we're onto the warmups and the optimization thing, let's just go into the optimization portion of running, right? So you mentioned okay. the critical importance of working up and also warming up and, you know, pacing yourself appropriately to get the desired physiological output, right? Yes. Big thing. What about like things that we are constantly focused on, maybe not as important as uh, the warmups, the progressions, all that stuff. What about like stance? Like, is there anything that you can do to optimize stance? And you kind of said it earlier that you don't really focus on correcting postures, stances, all that stuff. But is there anything that you do work on in that kind of context, like stance wise, I guess? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Form, I, I think. Okay. Well, I, well, when you say stance, I think of core. So I think a lot of cross body, like core stuff. So bird dogs doing these different types of things where you're, uh, activating your core planks. I have a, a really good friend of mine that if I don't say that everything starts in the core, uh, then they would say that I'm a terrible person. Everything starts in the core. It's core and in CrossFit it's core to extremity movement. So that's why the Turkish get up is so awesome. And I love that thing I love because Turkish you're teaching because your core, you're never going to end my uh, athlete would always be like, well, you ever going to grab a remote off the floor and do a Turkish get up. And I said, no, I said, but when you do grab the remote off the floor, your core is going to be engaged because of that gosh darn Turkish get up. But so core. So I look at core. Are you hunched over? Do you have pain in your lower back because you're hunched over towards the end of the run? And you're like, man, why is my lower back hurt? And I, just had an athlete ask me that. And I said, okay, let's look at your core. Core is super weak. We have glute activation. So when I'm looking at people's stuff, uh, I was told by a physical therapist, I'm all calves and no ass. 
I have no ass. I'm all calf, ginormous calves. And uh, it was a polite way of saying like, I didn't activate my glutes. And so I do glute activation. I get a band and I put it above my knees and I'm doing all these glute activations. I'm doing that before my runs. I'm doing that after my runs. Sometimes I do it before bed. I do it before I'm doing squats because I'm connecting just like a stride. I'm connecting my brain to my body and I want my glute to activate, not my calf. Um, So I'm looking at different types of things like vertical oscillation. So I'm looking at if I'm running and I see this person going up and down like this on the horizon, I know that they're really jumping up and then they're coming back down. That's extra load. That's extra force over a period of time of a race. That's going to cause injury over time. So we're looking at that vertical oscillation. We're looking at, I mean, when you get really into the weeds, you're looking at the ground contact time. How long are their feet on the ground? Is one foot on the ground longer than the other foot? That's going to be a sign of a weakness. That's going to cause something. Um, another thing that we're looking for is like, uh, what's a, a single leg isolation. So I used to skateboard. I'm a terrible skateboarder, but I had a skateboard and I could and move my foot. And if you look at what's your stronger foot, it's probably your lead skateboard foot or your scooter foot or whatever you're into. Um, that foot is going to be stronger because you are moving the front of your skateboard to turn with that actual foot. Uh, and so when I do single leg isolation stuff, my left leg is stronger than my right leg. Uh, identifying those things. And as a coach from an outsider's perspective, I can look at drills. I can look at you doing our warmups together. And before we even talk about or do any of these types of workouts, I can see and like point out these things. Um, so that's where I, I look at form or stance is like a more I'm, I'm putting you through these little secret drills and I'm identifying problems that I could find a solution to um, with a different type of training stimulus. Uh, maybe it's a strength training. Maybe it's a, a core isolation. Maybe um, it's upper body weakness. Maybe it's your, your, my right foot pronates more than my left foot. So developing those things and turning those muscles on before we actually do a workout to get you going. Okay. I think that answered your question about yeah. stance. No, it does. And uh, so what about, what about like variety of workouts? Like the things that kind of like, I guess, um, correlate well with running. So like you mentioned Turkish getups earlier, you mentioned some isolation stuff like pistols earlier, like as far as the variety, I mean, if you just sit there and run all the time, I mean, yeah, you're probably going to plateau or get injured. Right. But what are some of the other things like the secondary and tertiary components that we could throw into optimization of running? Well, there's the, like the cross training. So when you're jumping on a bike and doing these things, if I have someone with shin splits or if I have someone that's having a problem with something, I might put them on the bike and I can still get the same stimulus out of them that I'm trying to produce from a threshold run than I could if I knew more about them on the bike, uh, a strength training program. Uh, making sure that the intensity is appropriate to what they're doing. So Ryan Hall uh, is a fantastic runner. He's the fastest American half marathoner and marathoner. He went from a Olympian 130 something pound individual to 195, 200 pound beast of a man. And he did that. And he, he realized that when he was running and he was only running all the time, he didn't prioritize strength training and how important that is for durability. Um, when you're 30, your peak bone density. So when I was 32, I went and got my bone density scan to see where I stayed or where I was so that in 30 years from now, I can go get my bone density scan done again and see how much I've done or how much I've gone down. You pretty much peak at 30 years old for your bone density. So, uh, plyometrics muscles or sorry, uh, strength training, doing squats, being under a load is going to make you 
uh, stronger. And so you peak at 30 and then you kind of you either hold on to it or you go down. That's why when you see older people uh, that, uh, let's say, that they fall out of their bed or they break their hip, once they break their hip, they're actually going to die a lot faster because of uh, they weren't able to move appropriately. Uh, I used to go on calls and we'd go to convalescent homes. And in the convalescent homes, a lady fell out of her bed and was so weak that she choked herself to death because she couldn't get out of bed. Oh, right? So this is... It's it's insane amount of stuff that if we can instill appropriate strength training protocols for runners, for firefighters, for elderly, for the young, you're going to make them more resilient in the time of need. So I, I would call it off the floor programming. I want people of all ages. It increases testosterone. Everyone wants to take supplements about testosterone. They're going to, I'm going to be TRT, go lift some weights and prioritize sleep and eat real food and be hydrated. And you're going to get some awesome results. Um, I, I got, I got off topic again. Sorry about your, um, what were you saying about the, I got pumped. Let's start talking about oh, that. like, uh, different exercises that kind of, uh, combine well with running and optimizing your, your running capacity. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, Ryan Hall was talking about, I love hex bar deadlifts. For me, hex bar deadlifts, I get a bunch of athletes on that. I have two of them at my gym uh, and we're doing hex bar deadlifts uh, pretty often. It just changes the load. It changes the way that you do that. It changes the pulling location. I have a lot more control. So as uh, older individuals can do it, younger individuals, we're going to learn the proper form of deadlifting. Um, uh, and then you had said balance and understanding that uh, in running, there's actually different paces of running that cause uh, different adaptations that you're looking for. So having the correct balance of not going moderate all the time to doing some really, really slow stuff sometimes. And then some really, really fast stuff sometimes. So above your capacity and well below your capacity, you're going to have a better increase in ability over time. If you do it that way versus kind of doing the same thing, moderate all the time. And I think that's what, um, not on it, uh, like athletes do is they're super competitive and they do seven thirty every day. Uh, and so if you offer variety of really fast and really slow, you're going to see a difference, um, and different types of running programs. I'm going to be offering a core routine. I'm going to be offering some cycling. I'm going to be offering a strength routine where we're doing, like you said, or like what I said earlier with the single leg isolation stuff, we're going to be doing the, I forget the name of it, but these, uh, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble for not knowing this one, but it's that bike. It's a little bike and it's an elliptical, but it's on a bike. What is it? I don't know what it's called. I'm going to get crap for that, but you're doing the same movement as you are on elliptical and it's propelling the wheels and a lot of professional, uh, oh, runners like will the, jump uh, on that. It's a kind of like a, it's almost like a skiered, but it's like, a an elliptical bike, almost like a actual, so, it, uh, yeah, it moves I, on the road. I forget what they're absolutely. called. So I'm going to, I'm going to get crap for that. But <laughs> when you're on that thing, it's, uh, almost simulating the same movement, but there's no impact. Uh, when we're doing stuff in a pool, we have pool running, we have pool aerobics. You have all these things that are offering this stuff. You actually see people on treadmills that they'll have this little, they'll be running like the bottom half of them will be underneath this, uh, thing that's actually making them lighter so that they can build up to actually holding their own uh, weight on it. Um, I would think that with running, uh, incorporating, I think in fire service, a really good one is swimming. You're learning how to use, uh, your muscles with less oxygen so that you're building the adaptation that you might need as you're holding your breath. Cause it's very much a rhythm when you're running, it's a rhythm with your breathing. And it's that same thing. If you've ever swam, it's like every third stroke, I'm going to take a breath. I have to hold my breath for the rest of the time. Cause if I don't, I'm just going to swallow water. So, uh, those types of things. So I think that's 
kind of what we have. I use machines. I use the biker, the skier, the rower. I call myself a machine maniac. I will do all the machines. I absolutely love it. And I do that for threshold training. And I also sit on a rower for over an hour, just rowing super slow. So it depends on what adaptation I'm looking for. I honestly think that a rower is one of the most underrated uh, pieces of equipment that you could have. I mean, probably so is an assault bike, but I, I fucking hate assault bikes. God, I hate them, but they still provide their usefulness, yeah. right? Oh, absolutely. So I was just talking to a physical therapist um, in my office. We record, I like to record the conversations because uh, it helps me retain the information. It's kind of what you do right now, but you public, you make it public. Uh, I do it for selfish reasons so that I can understand what they're saying because it takes me a while to kind of regurgitate or kind of take what they're saying and make it make sense in my head. Uh, but one of the things is uh, he might have someone that he can get him on the assault bike and he can do the assault bike for about 10 seconds on 50 seconds off. And it's only about a 10 minute workout. So he has 30 minutes with this person. He's going to do about 10 minutes of a warm up. He's going to do this crazy 10 minute workout where I'm getting my heart rate super high. And then I'm going to do a 10 minute cool down and then that's it. And he just got the same result that he would have done if he had been with this person for an hour at a consistent kind of thing. So the assault bike is an asshole. It's a soul sucker. <laughs> it, it is so, 100% a soul sucking device. Yeah. I, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So what about like the nutrition thing? I, I, there's like a lot of fad diets out there. There's paleo. I mean, I've done paleo before there's, there's carnivore, there's all sorts of stuff like eat what you're craving kind of diets. There's all that shit mm -hmm. out there. But as far as what has worked for a majority, I know it's not a one size fits all kind of thing, just like with running and training and mm -hmm. anything, right? It's not one size fits all, but as far as nutrition, like what are we looking for? What's like working for your athletes that you're training? So I want to start off by saying I'm not a nutrition specialist. So the most information I get are from people way smarter than me. I have a friend who's just a stellar human being, an individual, and she is just top notch. She's where I get majority of my information from. Uh, and we always joke about that. We talk to her about supplements. Uh, we talk to her about nutrition uh, and, and just listen. And this is kind of a boring answer. So I'm sorry. It's listening to your body and understanding to eat more real food more often. So uh, when I Easter was just recently and I ate so much candy, I was stealing candy from all my kids and all my cousins. And I was eating like a, I just was sugar galore. I felt my wife and I felt like we had drank the night before when we woke up on Monday, we're like, gosh, sugar hangover. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I went and worked out on Wednesday, three days later, and I was still feeling the effects of all that sugar that I had. And just uh, being aware of the type of food that you're putting into your body is the first thing. Understanding that eating more real food uh, is better. There's a, a lady um, in the CrossFit world. It's, I can't forget. I forget what she does, but she does this challenge called the 800 gram challenge where she challenges you to not take food out of your diet, but to add food in and adding the food in, she's adding, having you add 800 grams of uh, vegetables and fruit. And so it's a really cool way to think about it because if I start saying like, I can't have chocolate versus I need to have this fruit and vegetable, I'm going to not have time or I'm not going to be hungry for that chocolate. It's just a different mindset. So the way that I like to do it is one, I take all the crap out of my covers because if there's Oreos, I'll eat a whole stack. I'll eat a whole thing. Graham Cheez crackers, no, cheese it's Cheez -Its. Oh, I'll Absolutely. crush an entire box. So I, I, oh my goodness. I will take it out. And runners feel like, oh, I ran 18 miles today. I can eat whatever I want. 
And that's just like this mindset. And so what we, what we have this problem of, of like, uh, I, I'm just going to replenish it with crappy food. Uh, I will say that this, and this is controversial. I will, after 18 mile run down a chocolate milk. Absolutely. That's my go-to for my athletes or anyone in the fire service. I put them in my lunchbox. I had them and I would have chocolate milk after every hard workout that I could possible. The ratio that you're looking for of all that stuff is fantastic. If anyone wants to sponsor me, that's chocolate milk foundation at my gym. I'm going to have a refrigerator full of chocolate milk for all the post run activity, but you're, and that's very, people don't like to hear that. So, um, but Let's see. What else can I say? Protein, right? Just, I mean, look at a, a plate of food and make sure that you're eating that plate of food and make sure that it looks bright and colorful. Make sure that the meat on there is sometimes fish, a, a steak, chicken. Like you're eating real food. You're eating food that's there. That's not like I'm not eating an In-N-Out burger all the time. Um, my all my vegetables are, I eat a lot of frozen peas, by the way. So frozen peas, a staple in my house for dinner is going to be uh, beef, peas, and some kind of vegetable or like a starch medley, sweet potatoes or something like that. That's what I'm going for. And I'm eating a bunch of food before every uh, big workout. I'm eating a half cup of oats, dried oats. So cooked, it's about a full cup. I'm doing uh, peanut butter. I'm doing honey. I'm doing dried cranberries. I'm having orange juice. I eat a certain amount of food that has been able to fuel me for an entire workout. And I use this analogy with my athletes. I said, would you ever go on a road trip without having any gas in your gas tank? And they'd be like, no, because I'm going to have to get fuel right away. And that's absolutely it. I don't program. We practice our race day nutrition months in advance. So the coffee that we're having, the hydration, the water that we're having, and the food that we're having, we don't want to get to the start line and then crap our pants. We don't want to get to the start line and two miles in have to take a pee. And we just lost 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Um, being uh, able to identify the things that you're doing and eating and putting in your mouth. It's not as, uh, as hard as people make it. They're like, I want to have 2,100 calories and my macros are going to be, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to say, 30. I'm trying to think of my normal macro, like 40, 30 and whatever else is left. And so I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about that. Are you eating ice cream at night? Are you drinking wine at night? Are you doing, eating your kids snacks? Are you eating because you're stressed or because you're bored? Once you have all that under control, then we can work on maybe a caloric deficit. And then after we get that figured out and you feel like you're able to work out, then we're going to change the macronutrients and kind of go that route. I don't have a prescription for each person. It's uh, individually based on how they act and respond. Uh, and I, it, carbs are okay. Just eat them. Yeah. So it's yeah, sugar, I mean, man. It's like, yeah, that's your quick, quick hitter right there for energy. Absolutely. But so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. That's it does. I mean, there's a lot of, I guess I would call it like bullshit out there, but it's it's mm -hmm. not bullshit because if it works for them, then it's not bullshit, right? Like I got my own like pre-run, pre-workout kind of meal thing, right? I try and stay mm -hmm. away from bullshit supplements. Um there was a point where I was taking like pre-workout stuff, right? Like the okay. hyper-caffeinated, lots of BCAAs and um, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But come to find out that I perform better without that shit. So mm -hmm. as far as the supplementation, let's get into that topic. Cause I know there's a lot of like witchcraft and like bro science out there. I mean, I know you're not yeah. a nutritionist or anything like that, but 
what is your, your thoughts? What's your opinions on, uh, supplementation? Uh, so I will start off by saying, I was like you, I've taken probably almost every supplement under the sun. Uh, I was looking for that quick fix and this person I've talked about. Oh, absolutely. And I was talking to my friend who's does this for a living. And I said, all right, I want to take the supplement. She said, okay. And she was a nutritionist for the, uh, the men's USA Olympic volleyball team. She was a nutritionist and exercise physiologist for the, uh, the military. So she goes and studies the military and the types of food. She worked in the giants nutrition, the San Francisco giants nutrition, um, and all this stuff. And she says, Lucas, uh, these athletes are paid and they don't take any supplements. They eat real food more often. Why you don't get paid. Are you paying money for something that it may or may not make you better? when you could just eat real food and prioritize sleep. Um, so that's where I start. I start with all my athletes when they ask about supplements, I'm saying, Hey, we are going to look at your sleep. Once your sleep is figured out and you still have a deficiency, right? We're going to go get blood work done. Uh, if you're taking a multivitamin or you taking a supplement and you've never done any blood work to identify that, that you might have a deficiency in that area, then you might just be peeing and pooping out money that you just like literally just might as well just eat money because you're going to poop it out. It, I, a prime example, my wife and I, we were working out pretty hard and uh, she goes, man, I, I just, I think I need some supplements. And I said, okay, yeah, let's, let's do some research on it. Let's figure it out. I said, let's, let's go get your blood test. She goes and gets a blood test. She goes to the doctor and the doctor says, you're doing great. <laughs> you have no deficiencies. Everything is just on point. All your stuff. Optimized. And she, we were across the board. Yeah. And we were, we were about to like go spend money on something for her because we thought that that would make her recover faster, do these things, but she was already eating well. She eats very well. She wasn't drinking. She had great hydration. She was prioritizing sleep and all of her markers were fantastic. And so I I like to think of it that way. If we're going to take supplements, let's be honest and realistic with it. Why are you taking a supplement? You want to be better, faster, and you're just looking for a shortcut. So look yourself in the mirror and say like, Hey, uh, stop. To are you taking the right steps to do these things? Have there been enough research to be done that uh, that shows that this supplement is actually doing something for you? So, like creatine, it's the number one tested subject out there. There's articles. Educate yourself on why you're taking this. Is this something you need? Is this something you're missing? Uh, zinc, magnesium, aspartate, ZMAs. I used to be told to take that in the fire service. Am I deficient in those things? Are those things going to help me do that, or do I just need to drink a glass of milk, maybe, or eat real food? Uh, what other kind of supplements are out there? There's like TRT, testosterone uh, replacement therapy. That's a huge one in, in the fire service and maybe in a different area of fire service. They were talking about it a lot. And if you look at what is going on at their sleeping habits, right? Their sleeping habits are terrible. They're getting woken up in the middle of the night to go do these things. Uh, the wild men, they're sleeping on the side of the hill. They're digging their own place to sleep. They're getting terrible sleep. They're cold. They're too hot. They're inhaling all this stuff. Uh, but do we want to take TRT to get testosterone therapy when if we kind of just found a way to make our sleep a little bit better, we'd see maybe some of the same results without doing that. Now we introduce TRT and we look great. We're thin, look real good. We're jacked, but then you're stuck on that for the remainder of your life. I'm 40 years old and I still have another 40 years to live. Now I'm just going to be sticking a needle or doing whatever kind of stuff I'm going to do. Um, those types of things. So I have a really like a not fun answer for, for supplements. And it's, um, if, if you think you need them, you maybe don't. 
if you are still taking care of all those things like sleep, nutrition, hydration, and you still feel like you need them, get blood test. If you get a blood test and you're then prioritizing sleep, you're doing all these things, and then it says you're deficient in something, work on that. But it might not just be the stuff. Maybe you're deficient in magnesium. It's not necessarily magnesium that you're deficient in. It might be the pathway that gets the magnesium into that system. So be educated on the reasons why you're going to be doing these things. Uh, and is it really worth that 1% being better when there's other things that are the base level, they're going to make you 10% better. So, yeah, the bigger, the greater good for, you know, instead of taking that 1%, dude, that's, that's what it should be all about. Cause you're going to be having longevity, like the whole topic of TRT. I mean, I know that's huge in fire service, military cops, everybody, right. Professional athletes even, but I mean, like you're saying, man, is it really needed? Or things like uh, protein powder. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. the utility behind, especially the wildland folks out there, like the Fed crews or whoever's out there pounding dirt every summer for eight months out of the mm-hmm. year. I could totally yeah. understand the utility behind certain supplements like protein powders or like maybe some like, I don't know, athletic greens, for instance, I'm throwing something out there, mm-hmm. something that's going to give you a little bit more nutrition because nutrition is not very readily available when you're 300 miles away from the closest town and in the middle of nowhere with no cell phone service. It's just not going to happen that. And even in travel status, you're eating shitty gas station food. I mean, Uncrustables. I lived at Uncrustables. Strawberry Uncrustable was like a a chief on the fire line. Like if I didn't have a strawberry Uncrustable, I would arm wrestle anybody for Uncrustable and strawberry. (laughs) And like the amount of calories that are in the fire line meals are insane. But and you're, that's what you have to do to kind of make it through those things where you're working for 24 hours. You, uh, in Cal Fire, we work 24 hours and have 24 hours off. But ultimately, working for almost like 28 hours because you're on the line from 8 to 8 the next morning. But then you're driving an hour and a half to base camp. And then you're sitting there, you're cleaning your rig, you're refueling and you're restocking everything. Then you're going to go into the... the uh, the meal line, you're going to eat all the meal. You're going to be doing all these things. And then by the time you get an hour to your hotel that you might get because it's a cow fire, it's a state fire, it's not a fed fire. Uh, you're going to get 12 hours, maybe 10. Then you go there, you go rest, you try to hang out or whatever. And then all of a sudden you wake up, it's four o'clock and you're like, I got to do that all over again. So you're 24 hour on 24 hour off really turns into like 36 of whatever else that equals. It's not, it doesn't equal. So, um, yeah, I understand the frustrations of those quick things and like athletic greens. You said uh, I've, all those supplements that have been tested and tried to trude uh, to help you get those nutrients that you need are super important. And, and understand that there are some out there that are better than the other. And knowing the ingredients of what's in there versus what the marketing tells you it does for you. So, is it a really good marketing tool like Liquid Death, the water? out of a can. That's a really good marketing tool because it's water in a can. It's awesome I, though. You I, add that, that, that shit's, that shit's so good. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I fell into liquid death. It's, it's it, it doesn't suck. Like, it does definitely does not no, suck. But it's just water in a can. And they, the, the story behind liquid death is he was a marketing, like a genius and he had some outlandish marketing ideas and he did a really good job and it's fantastic. And it just, there's nothing else like it. And if you find it, that's great. I think that's, I wish I could find a way to do that to make put water in a can. And it's just, it's, it's fucking water. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, but yeah, it's good though. I will oh, say, yeah. especially the, it, it, yeah, the, the flavored ones. I, I am kind of, well, especially if they're going to sponsor, 
if they sponsor your podcast, dude, I would liquid death would be everywhere. I'd put one up there. I'd put it <laughs> everywhere. They're all over, all over the place. Okay. Marketing team over at liquid death. Uh, if you want to sponsor the podcast, yeah. I will am open to negotiations because <laughs> that shit is fire. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's another thing too. Like the, the whole supplement thing and the marketing strategy and all that stuff. I think it is very important to know uh, what's actually going in your body because there is a lot of bro science behind a lot of this shit out there. There is, mm-hmm. I mean, there's really no two ways around it, man, unless you're going to talk to a professional. Well, even if you talk to a professional, if you look at the way that these studies are done, uh, there's intermittent fasting study that was done and they did the hour window between eight and two or whatever the, the hour windows were. And then they actually went and found out why they did that type of uh, study. It's because the, the lab was open from eight to two. So that's why they did it at that time. It wasn't, there were great benefits from it, but that's why they chose that hour window. So now we have someone that's preaching. It has to be this and it has to be that when it was because of the way that the lab was funded, that they could be open at that time, that that's why they chose those hour marks for their mice that they were testing it on. So it's, it's not a bad thing. I love articles. I read articles. Whenever I talk to anybody, I try to get an article about different types of training, different types of stimulus, different types of... I get sent articles all the time. I read them and I don't understand about 70% of them. That's when I ask my friends that are way smarter than me and they help explain it to me. Uh, and that's how I learn. Like I, I constantly am challenging myself with new ways and new ways to think about. And I'll be the first to admit that, Hey, I told you something wrong. Cause I learned something way better. Like I used to tell my, uh, some of my athletes that they should have a, a gram of protein for pound of body weight. So a gram of protein per body weight. So if you weighed 200 pounds, you'd have 200 grams of protein and, and come to find out that that might not be necessary. That might be too much protein. Um, and so I've, I've made those mistakes where I've said those kinds of things. And this kind of goes back full circle to understanding to be a good leader, a good cadre or captain or whatever. So understand that maybe that you were giving it wrong at one point, but there are other ways to do it. And then this way might be better to do that. So I think that that's a, a fantastic way. So that's why I have a hard time giving exact like uh, macronutrients and that stuff, because it's all dependent on the person. Oh yeah. It's what works for you the best, right? It's just like, I, I don't know. I, I, I do good with salt. I do good. My, my pre-workout like meal would be like two hours before I knew I was going to work out. I'd go eat okay. some oatmeal with some dried cranberries and probably like a scoop of protein powder in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe some peanut butter if I didn't have that. Maybe something else with some sort of protein in there, right? And then yeah. like maybe 45 minutes before my run, if I was doing something that was like very intense, I'd eat a handful of no shit gummy bears or like fruit snacks. That's, well, there you that go. works like, for me. That's, and that's that instant sugar that you talk about. You have these bodybuilders that are eating Skittles while they're lifting weights or, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's Skittles or gummy bears. So it's that same thing that they're doing that to just get not the sugar free ones though. Uh, yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But, uh, I think that's super important is that you found something and over time you found something that works for you that gets you, uh, the most out of your workout and you can replenish yourself that you can not only do this workout now, but you can do it again. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good thing to know and to do. Yeah. And it's a, this is the whole thing too, is like, you need the science behind it. You need to, you need to work with somebody, especially if you're an endurance athlete, which every wildland firefighter or firefighter is to some degree. But if you're doing like ultra marathons and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's important to have a coach like yourself and not only just a running coach, but a nutrition coach 
a movement coach, a whatever coach, I mean, getting the the right tools to be competitive and successful at that, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, that's important. And the fact that there's so many ways, I mean, let's go back. You said the uh, a running coach and then a nutrition coach. You have people that specialize in these things that are nutritionists, that are this is what they do for a living. They went to college, they study it, they've seen it on, they've worked in hospitals. They see it work on the elderly and they see it work on these crazy athletes and they might specialize in that. And they're going to have that. I was willing to pay money for a running coach and I had a great running coach, but I wasn't willing to spend money on a nutritionist or a nutrition coach when I probably would have seen more rewards from a nutrition coach. It's just because that's what I wasn't prioritizing at that time. Uh, and to know that you, you need these things. And so I think that's super important that that point that you just brought up. So yeah, kudos to you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess the last kind of topic I want to talk about is like the mental component of running everybody out there. And I've been guilty of this too. Yeah, it is physical, but I think and until this day, I think that any hard ass workout or hard run or any of that stuff, anything difficult is going to be primarily a mental game. So let's talk about the pain cave on okay. the last little subject that we have here. And uh, yeah, let's just go down the rabbit hole on this one. Cause I'm fascinated by it. All right. Uh, the pain cave is a, a deep, dark, scary place that people go to often. Uh, and how you regulate it is uh, being familiar with it. And there's no other way to get familiar with what the pain cave is like, unless you're in it. Um, so go there, uh, do those things and see what it's like, because sometimes uh, you can go further than you think you can. Your body has these mechanisms in its brain that will stop you before your energy level or whatever the fuel source that you have is going to run out. So it's technically your brain stopping you, not your ability and endurance. Sometimes it's your mental status. Um, I, I, no offense to David Goggins, fantastic, hardworking, the hardest mofo. Get after it, David. Yeah, if you look I up do "Don't have, Be a Bitch" in uh, the dictionary, it's probably a picture next to him. But uh, yes, how much of that, that is factual? Like that's working for him, but is his mentality uh, going to work for everybody else? Not necessarily. And this is what I think. I I, I get this a lot. Uh, people read uh, David Goggins' book, or they uh, read a motivational thing about hard stuff, and um, and then they train for a half marathon, and then they get get blown out. They get injured. They do these things. Uh, and they're like, man, I can't figure out what's going on. If you didn't do it appropriately, you, David Goggins, again, I think David Goggins is fantastic. Good stuff. What is his marriage life? Like, what is his relationship with his children? Like, what is his uh, mental state? Right. We have to weigh those things. Yes. David Goggins is a hard mofo that can run forever and duct tape his ankles together. But when he comes home and to his wife, is his wife happy or his relationship with his kids? Okay. Like there's gotta be a balance. And this is all across everything with nutrition, with training, mental capacity. You have to find a balance where you're doing these things so that you, uh, and that kind of resorts back to your, your why, which we didn't really talk about too much, but you always need to identify why you're doing the things that you're doing because you're not going to, and this is a good thing for David Goggins. You're not going to be motivated all the time. I mean, every podcast you listen to, they'll say like motivation buzz is dumb, but, and I get it. it, It's not there all the time. I don't want to wake up at four o'clock every morning. I don't want to, I look at my watch and I'm like, this sucks, but I get up and I do it not because I'm motivated, but because that's the time that I have before my kids wake up so that I can be there and present during my kids breakfast. So, 
Um, you look at Jocko, you do these things, the leadership, getting in these pain caves, it's, it's not, they're not motivated. They're just disciplined. And I think that's something we can take from those people is that discipline is key. They need to be disciplined to overcome a lot of the adversities that you're going to have. And discipline is going to uh, lead you the way. I was the most confident I've ever been when I was the most disciplined in my training, my nutrition and everything. It wasn't because I looked the best. It was because I was disciplined in the decisions that I was making for the pain cave. I love the pain cave. I think the pain cave, I will, one of my rules, I have three rules, but one of them is get comfortable where others are uncomfortable. I knew that going up a hill, that as soon as my legs hurt, the guy or gal next to me's legs were hurting just as bad as I would. And I would trick my brain. That's when I would start trying hard. So I got very, I used that to my advantage. Um, on the other side of that, if you go into the pain cave so much, you're going to get injured. You're going to do all these things to get you. If the longer in the pain cave, the more risk you're going to have risk worse reward. Uh, but it calluses your mind. There's a picture of me on an assault bike from a, the last event I did. I did this event and there's 25 calories in this bike are on this bike. And it's in the middle of this 30 minute workout and I'm doing it. And there's a picture that the photographer took and it's a picture of me. And I look, um, like in the zone, like super, like, I was like, Oh, that's a You're great picture. After. I scanned in the, I'm getting the next picture. It looked like I was crying. It looked like Jesus was telling me to like step up and I was like, I was just like dying. And you could definitely see I was in the pain cave. The first picture was me comfortable. The next picture was me seeing death and, and realizing that I was as close as I've ever been. And it was very uncomfortable and that was a bad spot to be in, but I was there and I, I still survived and die. Right. So, um, I just love that picture because the one picture I look like, like I'm focused, I'm in the zone. The next picture, I look like my son after I just took away candy from him. Like <laughs> it's just like I, whimpering. It was so funny to see the drastic difference and that's the true pain cave. But, um, it, yeah, I, I love the pain cave. I, I think it's a great place. I think, uh, one of the things that ties directly into the pain cave is overcoming adversity as well. Cause Man, if you get injured or if you bonk on a marathon that you've been training for for six months, eight months, you bonk within the first you know, 10 miles, that takes mm -hmm. a hit to your ego. And to say that we don't have ego in the game, in the fight with any kind of physical uh, fitness or our careers or pretty much any component of our life is utter bullshit. We all have ego. And when you take a, an ass whooping, that ego definitely mm -hmm. goes takes an injury as well. So as far as recovering the pain cave, I guess, I guess recovering from adversity, adversity in the pain caves relation to that, like, what do we got in that, that component of the mental game? Uh, that's a great question. I just had this talk with an athlete not too long ago. Uh, and it's funny that you said the marathon thing, the last marathon I did, I had this audacious goal and, uh, I failed tremendously. Um, I had this big aspirations that I thought if I hit this one time, it would give me credit in this running field or the world or whatever. Street cred. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I, and, and I was so far off. Like it was, I knew a mile 13 that I was not going to hit anywhere close to what I was going to do, but I had flown all the way to Iowa to do this marathon. I was not going to not finish the marathon. Um, there's a couple of things that came from this. The one is you never know who's watching. There's a picture of me and it's actually on my slideshow me laying down on the ground, almost throwing a fit because I didn't hit the goal that I wanted to
to hit. Guess who was looking at me? My son. My son, when he doesn't hit his goal, what do you think he does? He throws a fit because I was his leader and his example. And how I responded to adversity is exactly how he responds to adversity. So remember that people are always watching. That's in the fire service. That's in life. When you see something at your firehouse or something on the fire camp and there's a piece of trash, pick that piece of trash up because you have pride and you have pride in your camp. You also have pride in yourself that you're not going to walk by something. You're going to move the trash can when you're mopping the bathroom or the barracks because you know that underneath that trash can needs to be mopped. Don't mop around it. You weekly like mop underneath it. So, um, people are always watching. Uh, I, I was talking to one of my athletes about it and I, and I, he also had a race and he bombed it. He just did terrible. And I was able, because I bombed this race prior to relate to him on such a level that only the two of us understood because we had both done the same thing. I had failed. And I, and I think failure is fantastic. I think failure is the a key and necessity to life. You need to fail. You need to learn from it. You like they say like, what is that? I don't make mistakes or I don't fail. I only learn or whatever that quote is. But I, uh, you learn so much from adversity that you need to do that. One, it makes you appreciate the way that when you do achieve your goal, that you could celebrate and give yourself a pat on the back. Our son, we do a golden egg and this is, not kind of related, but at Easter, we search for a golden egg and there's one egg. It's like this big. And my son, he's five and he's never found it. And he gets so sad because he's super competitive and I can't figure out why. I don't know if it's my wife or me, but I'm just kidding. But he <laughs> wants to get it every year. And my wife and I were talking about how important it is for him to not get it because when he does get it, it's going to mean so much to him. And so that's for everything. If that's your dream job, if that's the goal time of your marathon, if that's uh, doing well in a CrossFit event or doing well in whatever kind of sports or math or whatever you're doing, you need Business, to fail whatever. that you understand. Exactly. If As soon as you are doing those types of things, you are going to appreciate it so much more. It's just, I, I don't know how to explain it. It means so much to you. And so I think you need to fail often to understand it. So, and that's also in the pain cave. You need to be in the pain cave often to understand it, to see that place of mental fortitude, one might say. Oh yeah. It's like that Joe Rogan episode where he was talking with Steve Rinella about their hunt in Alaska and it was just pissing rain, freezing effing cold. And they were out there for like a week. They're finally successful. I don't even know if they were successful on their hunt, but they come back to like this run down like lodge that probably has like uh-huh. bed bugs and shit. Right. And he, uh-huh. he, there's a point in the podcast where he talks about like uh, taking a shower after being cold for that long. It's like those little things that we take for granted so often that after we've been in the pain cave for so long, it feels like you're a brand new person. So I think there's a lot to be said about the failure. There's a lot to be said about the pain cave and what it can provide to you as not only an athlete, but as just a human. Oh, absolutely. The, the life lessons that you learn in those situations are, are unmatchable in any way whatsoever. Hell so, yeah. I wanted to say a couple of things about, if you don't mind, oh, I was ahead, reading man. through your website and uh, I think it's great. You're talking about, I don't know if it was your mission statement or just more about you. And it was talking about how you're trying to highlight the stories, the career opportunities, 
spread awareness of fire prevention and educate the public on the struggle and achievements of mental health in the fire service. And I wanted to take a moment to commend you for what you're doing because a lot of people don't necessarily give credit when credit's due. Uh, but by you being vocal and doing these things and bringing awareness, you're educating people by bringing someone like me on that might not be a wildland firefighter, like hardcore wildland firefighter. You're going to bring some of my audience here that might listen to this podcast. That's going to now know about the struggles that the wildland firefighters have, the spread awareness about fire prevention, about how the things that they can do can help them help you and save houses across the, well, I'm going to say the, the United States just because of that, but the mental health, um, there's a lot of times when people don't understand that people in the fire service are, even though they're tough and they're brave and they're doing these things, they struggle and they need help. Um, and they're too, like, like you said, that, that person that got rhabdo because they're, they have too much pride to admit that they need help. The mental awareness and being mentally strong doesn't mean that you hide things. It means you're, vulnerable enough to talk about it in a way that makes other people realize that they're not alone. So you have done a great job of letting firefighters and people in whatever aspect of life know that they're not alone and that they have help. And there's a community out there. I'm a big believer in community. The Land Sharks Running Co. is a huge community that we motivate through movement, but our community lets people know that we're there for them. And we have a symbol and it's called fins up. And we just put this little thing on our head like this. And it's right. just like, cause we're a shark, but it lets them know that we're there for them. And so I, and I couldn't do it without, but you deserve a fins up because of what you're doing and the things that you're bringing awareness to, because it's making a difference. So continue doing what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. Uh, the people that listen to this, share it, spread it, uh, because there's so many different facets of life and mental health that need to be addressed. They could be addressed by talking. They could be addressed by physical activity. They could be addressed by sleep and the type of food that they're eating. And if they do those things, they're going to be better individuals for the rest of their life. So fins up, dude. That's what I just want to say to you. That's awesome. There it is. Look fins at that, up, dude. So good stuff. Thank yeah. Yeah. It's good words. stuff. No, I appreciate the compliment. You're very man. welcome. And, uh, I am the arguably one of the world's worst pre people at, uh, taking compliments, but I appreciate it, man. And, uh, yeah. I think that it's important to highlight these stories like yours and share what you have to offer the community. Cause that's what it's all about, man. It's, 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 it's honestly just as long as we affect one person out there and it's something that was said between you and I, or any of the other podcasts or the, any other people that have been on the show, as long as they help one person, let them know that they're not alone or they're not struggling. Fucking that's a win, dude. That's a win in my book. Absolutely. So keep grinding, man. That's great. You as well, man. Good stuff. I appreciate the hell out of you. Thank you. But we're going to the end of the show here. Um, I want to give you the opportunity uh -huh. to give some shout outs to some homies, heroes, mentors, and then where we can find you maybe book some, uh, some running seminars for, uh, our crews. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, homies, right. So some senior firemen, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you kind of help shape mold me to the individual that I am. Uh, I don't need to say any names, you know, who you are. Um, if you're a captain that I've had in the past, I've had captains that have been great role models and examples of what to do. I've also had some captains of role models of what not to do. And I think that bad captains are equally as good as good captains, uh, because you can learn what not to do and to do. Uh, so obviously everybody knows who they are. Uh, but, uh, the people, uh, just in the fire service in, in general is a family. And I'm a, a very, 
um, family oriented person. It's family first and fitness for me. And so I, I consider everybody in the fire service, my family. So anybody that's listening to this, that needs help, wants to talk about stuff, feel free to, I guess I will tell you where I, you can find me on landsharksrunningco.com. It's our website. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram. It's landsharksrunningco on Instagram. Um, where there's like a blue and white symbol that will, I guess we'll put links into it. Uh, my phone number is probably out there uh, on those different items. So if you want to call or text or email me, uh, feel free. I'm on my computer and my email constantly. Um, and that's how I generally communicate with people. Uh, so, and if you're looking for what I've just recently offered, uh, we're in about 15 schools for a fourth through sixth grade running club and we're called the Junior Land Sharks. Uh, so that's a really proud moment of mine that we're motivating that's kids badass. to get off iPads. That's so awesome. I think that's a problem that we have. And it's just teaching them like our, um, our, was it our topic last week was respect. And our topic the week before that was just goals and being oriented. And we actually did a topic about making the hard decision. And I think that we need to implement and teach young children, these different types of standards so that they're used to them when they get into the fire service or they used to them when they get into these trades we need more mechanics. We need more plumbers. We need more people to do these wonderful things. And I think if we teach them and instill it at a younger age, we're going to be doing that. If you're interested, uh, I just offered a uh, seminar to a local Cal Fire camp and they absolutely enjoyed it because we talked about all these things. We get into the weeds. We do a little bit of nerd stuff. We get into different types of running uh, uh, philosophies, training methodologies. We even did drills and strides and we put them through a little pace workout to help them understand and show that like, Hey, we do don't understand pace as much as we think we do. Uh, so that's something you can do. And all those things you can find on our website or on our Instagram. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's kind of it, I guess. Uh, shout out to homies. Thanks to downtown, our DT loss for letting me use their offices here to do this podcast. So thank you. Uh, that's fantastic stuff. So. Oh yeah, man. Well, Lucas, thank you for being on the show and uh, yeah. Dude, I appreciate the hell out of your expertise and your knowledge that you're sharing with the, uh, the global fire community, man. I appreciate the hell out of it because people need to hear this stuff. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate everything that this offers. And just for me to talk about it is, is an enjoy for me. So if anyone wants to talk, I, I talk too much. So you'll just tell me to shut up sometimes. So can't beat the you. authenticity, bro. <laughs> that's for sure. It's, it's good. You're passionate Absolutely. about it. It matters. That shit matters, yes. dude. It does. Yeah. That's so. good stuff. Right on. Well, well Lucas, cool. thank you so much. Fins up. <laughs> That's right, dude. It's up. And yeah, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Thank you for listening. And boom, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Lucas Garrett from Land Sharks Running Company. Luke, dude, thank you so much for uh, being on the show and sharing your expertise and knowledge in the field of running. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. That was a lot of good information in there, especially with the injury avoidance, the running optimization, and the nutrition and rest part. Yeah, the pain cave, well, that's a place you got to kind of explore on your own, but I hope that... Uh, the stuff that we were talking about helps you explore that pain cave <laughs> uh, a little bit better. Yeah. So once again, Luke, thank you so much. Speaking of running, uh, this weekend, actually, on April 22nd, Tahoe Hotshots, they're doing their annual Hotshot Half Marathon. So if you want to go over there and support a good cause, it's a portion of the, actually the proceeds, it's a fundraiser for the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Go over there and, uh, do your damnedest. It's a badass trail run. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be able to go. I've got to go to Sacramento the next day. So sorry about that, fellas and ladies. But yeah, 
Thanks for the invite. So if you feel uh, like getting your ass kicked by some uh, pretty gnarly half marathon trail run, well, now's your opportunity. Go check it out on the old gram. Uh, they're uh, floating around there somewhere. Speaking of running, uh, if you want to get a hold of Lucas, go and check out his Instagram as well. And uh, I will, of course, drop the contact information and all that jazz in the show notes. Yeah, pretty easy to find. Just search for Land Sharks Running Co. and you'll find them. As for everybody, hope everybody's doing good. Uh, a lot of events coming up as well. There's one this past weekend. It was the Hot Shot Up Volleyball Tournament. Waiting to hear back from those guys, see how it went. But thank you so much for uh, throwing that event. Kicks ass, goes to a good cause. And in June, beginning of June, we have the Rippin' Lips Dumpster Tuna event. Oh, wait, sorry, Bass Fishing Tournament. Yeah, <laughs> Sam, I hope you're listening to this one. And the... Uh, Fundraiser goes for the Wildland Firefighter Foundation on that one as well. So get out there preseason, go have some fun and mingle with some homies, mingle with some families. It's awesome. Keep doing these, uh, these community events. They kick ass. This for all of you. I uh, hope you're doing well. The season is right around the corner. So hopefully we can go into that and not get injured. Like uh, our buddy Lucas was saying, like, uh, I don't know, not blowing out your hammy because you're not doing the right stuff. So listen to his words and he's got some good advice. Hope everybody's doing well. Shout out to our sponsors. We got Mystery Ranch. They make the damn best packs in the wildland firefighting game and then some. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out their full line of load-bearing essentials. We've got Hotshot Brewery, of course. Kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause and a portion of the proceeds always goes back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com hotshotbrewing.com and check it out of course we got the ass movement what's up booze i'll be seeing you next week buddy <laughs> go over to www.thefirewild.com and you can save 10 percent on your entire order by entering the code anchor point ass 10 at checkout and last but not least we've got the american wildfire experience it is awesome they also house the smoky generation so if you want one of those grants go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out Y'all know the drill. Stay safe. Stay savage. Peace. Mm -hmm.